Keneal, and to the givers of this beautiful reward, my thanks from the heart, my family, my agents, my editors, know that my being here is their doing as well as mine, and that the beautiful reward is theirs as much as mine. And I rejoice in accepting it for and sharing it with all the writers who were excluded from literature for so long, my fellow authors of fantasy and science fiction, writers of the imagination, who for the last 50 years watched the beautiful wards go to the so-called realists. <laughs> I think hard times are coming when we will be wanting the voices of writers who can see alternatives to how we live now and can see through our fear-stricken society and its obsessive technologies to other ways of being, and even imagine some real grounds for hope. We will need writers who can remember freedom, poets, visionaries, the realists of a larger reality. Right now, I think we need writers who know the difference between production of a market commodity and the practice of an art. <laughs> developing, developing written material to suit sales strategies in order to maximize corporate profit and advertising revenue is not quite the same thing as responsible book publishing or authorship. Thank you, brave applauders. <laughs> Yet, I see sales departments given control over editorial. I see my own publishers in a silly panic of ignorance and greed charging public libraries for an ebook six or seven times more than they charge customers. We just saw a profiteer try to punish a publisher for disobedience, and writers threatened by corporate fatwa. And I see a lot of us, the producers, who write the books and make the books, accepting this, letting commodity profiteers sell us like deodorant and tell us what to publish and what to write? Well, <laughs> I love you too, darling. Books, you know, they're, they're not just commodities. The profit motive is often in conflict with the aims of art. We live in capitalism. 
Its power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. <laughs> Any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings. Resistance and change often begin in art and very often in our art, the art of words. I have had a long career and a good one, in good company. Now here, at the end of it, I really don't want to watch American literature get sold down the river. We who live by writing and publishing want and should demand our fair share of the proceeds. But the name of our beautiful reward is not profit. Its name is freedom. Thank you. And welcome to the weekly review. <laughs> that was Ursula Le Guin from a speech from 2014, the National Book Awards. And um, Ursula passed away uh, this past week, so I wanted to play that speech, which I've seen uh, excerpts of going around online. I wanted to share that with folks. Thanks for listening in. It's interesting to start the show. We did start with some music from Tycho, T-Y-C-H-O. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And then, yeah, it's interesting to go into the show from a speech instead of from music. We'll see. We're changing things up a little bit here. Thanks so much for listening. This is Mutiny Radio, and this is Roman. It's a sunny day here in the Mission District in San Francisco. It's been an, an, an enormous, that's the word that comes to mind, enormous week for news, I guess, and it's <sighs> dealing with what's happening. Here in San Francisco, we have a new interim mayor, Mark Farrell, who is pretty much like if Dan White had a law degree. That's one's perception of it. Uh, he's the most conservative member of the Board of Supervisors, and for a while, London Breed was the interim mayor, and some of the quote-unquote progressive members of the board, there was, so there's a lot of different points of view on this, and their reasoning behind this was that Ron Conway, who's into tech and into gentrification and kind of bullying politicians to supporting the big tech companies here, was he was bullying folks even at, at Lee's funeral to support London Breed and to support the tech tech folks here. And apparently he's also done that with Mark Farrell as well. So it's interesting that that would be the reasoning. That's just from one, one perspective of it. My, I, my understanding of Mark Farrell is certain things that he has done that have caused problems in this city. One would be authoring Prop Q, which unfortunately passed, and that authorized sweeps of homeless encampments here. That's pretty fucking terrible. He also was the only member of the Board of Supervisors to vote against making City College free, and thankfully it passed at least, but to, to vote against free education when that's something that the city can do. That's pretty reprehensible. He also was the sole member of the Board of Supervisors to vote against the Alex Nieto Memorial in, in Bernal Heights Park. 
and Alex Nieto is one of the many people who has been murdered by the SFPD. So this is kind of along the lines of his, he's also the supervisor of the marina, if that's any indication. So this is kind of where we're, where we're at, and many, many, many folks are upset that he is the interim mayor, and there's also concern as to his, the idea that he's a cop apologist, to say the least, and the fears that he may, in some ways, not be up for standing up against ICE and other law enforcement. So that's where we're at right now in San Francisco, and many, many people are upset about this. The mayoral election will happen in June. We'll see what's happened. what happens. I know folks who are supporting Jane Kim. There are no folks who are supporting Amy Farrah-Weiss, although SEIU has decided not to support I- Amy Farrah-Weiss. And it's, as a union member, it's like, we're, I'm a union member. What, how come I wasn't asked for this? Okay, you're going to tell me who I should support. That's kind of messed up. Anyway, airing my dirty laundry. Uh, and then there's plenty of folks who are also like, we don't need a mayor. And also electing someone in a position of power when we can actually self-govern that's something to be said as well. So people, and then there are also folks I know who are supporting London Breed. There's folks kind of all all across, but I don't know anyone who's supporting uh, Mark Farrell. So we'll, we'll just put that, even though he's the interim mayor, it's scary to have someone like that in a position of power. That's my feelings about it. I know many folks agree. Ugh, and gross. That's my commentary. I know that I'm hoping in the future to have more folks on the show who have much more insight and much more experience with SF politics here and have a, a better sense of the history of it. And this is, this comes from my understanding of it. And many folks are, the idea with politics, of course, is having to make these terrible compromises. And it's not really, when you have people in positions of power, very unfrequently do they actually act in the interest of the people. And in order also just to get to that level of having that authority, you kind of need to sell people out. So, ugh, it just feels dirty, really, and to have a mayor like that. Ugh, ugh, even though it's interim. Gross. Gross, gross, gross. It also just reminds people of a lot of other people in positions of power who are causing harm. Oh, so that's unfortunate. Unfor- unfortunate, unfortunate. Something that is fortunate, though. Um, people taking action. There's a lot of people taking action, and that's one way. There's diversity of tactics. There's many ways folks can show up. There was an action in front of the ICE building, ICE headquarters in San Francisco yesterday. And if you are if you have the ability to attend an action and to stand up, by all means, I'm not to say, I don't want to say the, stand, the words uh, stand up. If you have the ability to show up in actions, um, by all means, please do so. And ICE agents are acting like Gestapo. There are reports of them going on a Greyhound bus. I think it's in Florida. I might be incorrect. Uh, But they did go to a Greyhound bus and were asking people for their papers, which is totally illegal. And even if it is legal, it's unjust. So there's so many reports of people, people's families being taken apart, torn apart. People who have been here for decades, doctor, it shouldn't even matter what someone's profession is. It doesn't even matter, honestly, because a lot of us don't really believe in this idea of borders. Who's who someone colonized and said, oh, this line separates this land from this land, and someone who was here before somehow has to obey these certain fucked up laws. So it's it's difficult to, I, I can't even defend any of this bullshit that these, these law enforcement folks are doing. And there's always the option to quit your job if it's unethical. I know it's it's the difficulty with capitalism is that there are not very many, or not as many jobs as there should be that actually involve helping people. However, uh, no one's forcing you to be a cop. No one's forcing you to be uh, an ICE agent. So think about that. You are you are taking part in a system that is causing harm to many people. 
and I hate all this fucking terrible. I don't even have to talk about it. It's so enraging because we all know the people causing a lot of harm here. We got the white supremacists, some of whom are in law enforcement, some of whom are in government. They're the ones who have attacked more Americans throughout the throughout the history than any other any other group. So why aren't they well we kind of know why because they're in positions of power however it's just so enraging to see that people who have not caused harm to anyone are the ones who are being deported who are being punished when the folks who are actually causing the harm are the people in power how do we flip that how do we switch that what can we do how can people show up more that's a question what would you do if someone that you loved was being taken from you and if you were, would be upset if that were to happen to you, why not stand up? Oh, I keep on saying that. Working on language here. My apologies. Why not come through? Come through and help out someone else and show up for someone else who's also going through that. And also simply by the, the idea that they're going to be coming for you next. It's not like they just the fascists just stop. Oh, we'll take care of this group of people and then we'll be nice to everyone. No, they're here to fuck everybody over. If you don't belong to a certain subset or if you don't and or if you don't obey, they're going to come for us. So got to stand. Oh, got to show up now. There we go. Making it work. Making it work. We do have some news stories for folks today. There is I even have a humorous news story. Uh, I don't know how much of it I'll read, but part of it. So I, I get that there are folks out there who are animal rights activists, and I appreciate that. And I also want to encourage folks who solely focus on animal rights to really question cops in this because cops shoot dogs a lot cops murder animals they murder dogs we all know that they murder people and they also murder animals so it's really important for folks who are really focused on the animal rights side of things to also recognize that we could use your help in terms of holding cops accountable in the harm that they cause i'm going to bring up the article right now and thought we'd start off with this with this article here. And it was, you know, sometimes we take what we can get. And this was something in which it's not really a happy story. It is a story in which, uh, well, you'll hear about it and then you can, you can make up for yourself why one might find this amusing. So this comes from the site Truth Fight and it came out on January 16th. The title is, Cop Tried to Shoot This Dog for Barking, But He Accidentally Shot Himself Instead. And this came out, yes, January 16th. When we heard about a California deputy accidentally shooting himself while trying to kill a quote-unquote vicious dog, we weren't sure where to go with the story. Should we comment on the irony that the police are thought to be quote-unquote responsible gun owners and all the related issues surrounding that assumption? Or should we focus on the police abuse of power and flagrant disregard for the lives and even safety of humans and non-humans alike? No sooner than we finished drafting an article encompassing several of these issues, a video ran on the local KNBC and KCAL television showing that very dog which the deputy said was threatening his life. Instead of showing a vicious, rabid monster that needed to be put down, the video captured uh, an animal that was significantly smaller than the trigger-happy officer reported. The dog, which the deputy, deputy thought needed to be shot, was filmed playing peacefully with neighborhood children. Could not make this up. Uh, 
that's a thing too. Also, it's like, how can we even make up news stories when these actual things happen? Okay. <sighs> a Riverside County Sheriff spokesperson said that the deputy was serving an eviction notice and fuck you for being a cop for serving an eviction notice in the first place and fuck landlords for evicting people. That's not in the article. That's my perspective and many other people's perspectives as well. You're part of the system if you're fucking evicting people and that's violence. Okay, so while this this sheriff was doing terrible things and serving an eviction notice, um, a quote-unquote large dog quote-unquote attacked him and this is from the point of view of the cop. Um, or at least tried to. That's also in quotations. A dog came at the deputy in an aggressive manner. Deputy Armando Munoz explained to the local news source, the Press Enterprise. The deputy, Munoz continued, attempting to defend himself, pulled his service weapon, shot one round, and injured himself in the leg. When the officer shot himself, however, the dog ran away, terrified of the noise. Strange for such a bloodthirsty killer, right? As for the deputy, Munoz said, he's okay. He has non-life-threatening injuries. The dog, named Precious, was not taken by animal services, which said that there was absolutely no evidence that the dog had done anything wrong, nor tried to attack the officer. Why then was this officer trying to shoot and kill her? And the article also contains a video of this and this really sweet dog playing with the children. So that's just, that article pretty much says it all right there. And... I don't have much else to, to add to it, just that that's kind of whew, the world we're living in. People in positions of authority um, end up harming or trying to harm folks and, and animals, and it's just, ugh. Anyway, I thought it'd be good to start off on a, on a positive note like that. So we're going to play some music, and then we'll be back with some more news stories. So thank you so much for tuning in to the Weekly Review, and we'll be back in a little bit. next door their copy of the land
All right, and welcome back to Weekly Review. I'm joined here by Warhol. Thanks for coming. Oh through. shit! It's so nice to be here. It's yeah. wonderful. It's nice to have uh, visitors here at the station. You know, um, when I was homeless, I'm going to talk like that. It was the past tense. I would just come here because you know it doesn't cost money to be here. It's just like a space. And uh, I got so much love for Mutiny. I got love for Pirate Cat for back in the day. Like, so much love, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the few spaces, I think, both in San Francisco and in the country where folks can just come through and not have to worry about buying something. You know what? Yeah, it's such a trip, man. I've been trying to think about uh, monetization models and shit because in theory, you can build things to sell or you can build things that people want and then subliminally or not subliminally, like... uh, advertise to them and get money from that or you can build a platform i guess that allows you to have invitations you know and like those are different models i've seen but it's such a crazy thing and with this like you know i i usually don't like i would love to to buy in and and join and i'm maybe getting to the point where that's an option but it never was an option before and i would always try to figure out like well like how do we like tweak them how do we like get it get it so it fucking comes together and the comedy scene is like that too like people think they're competing against each other it's like no if we succeed we succeed together right right and if we're actually to to go in together and share our resources we could actually have something instead of all kind of paying someone else just to be there no it's real i'm definitely uh i want to go back into looking at commercial spaces i was involved in um a space called Merchants of Reality in the Soma. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're still trying to build, and I'm still trying to build with them, but I, there's something about taking over a space and, and pledging uh, a concept to it, you know? So, like, if you have a home, it's like, this is our home, and your home might be about whatever it's about, but if you have a space that's like, this is not our home, this is our studio, and we produce spaghetti, or we produce fucking sound, or whatever we do, I, I think it really does have power to do that and and to gather around that, you know? Definitely. I have a joke about it, actually. Um, You know, they say, like, wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, he's there. Uh So, like, if you invite Jesus to the orgy, he'll definitely come. Wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Same concept, basically. Sure. (laughs) Not sure how to (laughs) respond to that. It's a hard segue, for sure. That's cool. So you're mentioning a show that you do on Mondays at Delirium. Yeah, I do Trivia LOL at Delirium uh, in the Mission of San Francisco at 8 o'clock. And actually before that, we're at Slancha uh, in Oakland by Jack London Square on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Uh, We go from like 5.30 to 6.30 there. And um, yeah, Groundhog Day, there's a show at at Cafe Revolution in West Oakland on 7th. I'm doing with Jade Haley. It's been it's been really dope. It's so there's like a lot of really good comics here actually in San Francisco. People don't always admit it, you know, but it's actually really interesting stuff happens here. Yeah. That's cool. I haven't been to a, a comedy show in a minute, so I just kind of I was doing it for a while and I felt very frustrated hearing a lot of in some places I went, I heard a lot of very regressive and uh, problematic material that For was sure. really like putting down, you know, like the kind of punching down. And it's like our world is about pun- punching down. We don't need to do that on a stage. And it's just not the funniest thing you can do. Right. You know, so what I've observed, and I'm really curious what you think about this. Uh, I sort of came to a conclusion a few weeks ago, like, whoa, I seem to be part of a wave of comics for whom, and I call it the Dick Gregory school, right? Mm. It's like for whom being funny 
is not the point and yeah. being funny is not the only goal and if it's a byproduct it's great but there is something else going on too yeah yeah and i i really i think that's fascinating and so i play a lot of uh dive shows and so also for me a lot of times the goal of the material is to just get people to listen at all yeah and so like that's step one and that clears the palate for possibly laughter or not yeah but like uh i mean i know a lot of people they're like oh you know i prefer it when I have a room full of silent people and a perfect sound system and the lighting's perfect and I'm being paid $15,000 and I have a, yeah, like me too, motherfucker. Like that sounds good, but you know, <laughs> we're doing it here right now. Yeah. You can come if you want. That's kind of like how we do it right now. Yeah. It's hard to get that overnight. <laughs> yeah. You know, man. Oh dude. I don't know. You said you, you did stand up for like 10 years. Yeah. So tell me about starting out. Like what was, what was going on? Oh, I mean, I was younger. I started, um, when I was maybe 21. So I, I really appreciated when I started doing it cause I felt it was something that I enjoyed doing that had a positive response. I could be authentic. I could tell the truth. I could be political and I could be myself. And I think a lot of society, like I don't want to say society as a whole, but there's a lot of messages we get growing up. Um, especially, having like I identified at the time more like gay or queer and I also I'm tra- I'm a trans masculine person and at the time I was viewed as socialized as female so I think coming from that perspective and like how do I present myself to the world how do I get my message across to the world having a platform to do that and to talk about my life and myself was really great and it really a benefit so you've been doing this show since 2013 yeah so it's 2018 that's five years so how did doing this show impact the uh, like needing or wanting the stage as a platform? Well, this has been like a really great platform in that I've got two hours a week to talk about whatever I feel like without not that it's different. I think it's depending on where one performs. You might one might be depending on how the audience is here. It's be just being able to talk about what I want to talk about without looking for that laugh. I like that. Good. Um, okay, I have two questions. One is like about when you're on the radio, because like I, when I, what I do, it feels like speaking into the void to a great extent. Yes, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I produce like YouTube videos that like get approximately as many views, or no, approximately as many views as who I send them to individually. Yeah. So like, if I want to make sure I get at least thirty views or fifty views. That's like that amount of time to send it to enough people that hopefully that many click on it. Yeah. And so like that's as much energy into the promotion as the production. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's crazy. So like I'm just I'm interested like uh, what what gives you that sense? Like is it satisfying enough to put it out? Is it having an archive? Is it like knowing people listen or do people call in? What what gives you that response? Yeah. I mean it's like a little I mean a little bit of everything and it, it is it does feel like definitely as you mentioned, like kind of speaking into a, a void a little bit where there is that when one does comedy, ideally you not that everyone necessarily if they find something funny they're going to laugh or or do something audible that you can hear or something that you can see. It's I do miss that reaction from people and knowing that when I'm, I mean, sometimes people afterwards will say, oh, I downloaded your show. I like what you had to say. And then we get, when we get the statistics in as to, you know, who, how many downloads we got, that's, that's really refreshing. Um, I'm sorry. I'm kind of going off in a little bit. No, of no, I like here. it. And then so, my other question, and uh, this might be invasive. So if, if it is like, uh, don't feel free to not respond, but I think sometimes about 
the question of passing as it relates to like trans living versus like racial passing and they're different but i as i think about them i'm never able to really come to a conclusion and it's just fascinating because like if you think about stories of i don't know like uh biography of an ex-colored man i don't know if that's familiar to you or like i mean the the less authentic version is like black like me right where mm-hmm. it's like a performance but i i i don't i'm not so much thinking about that but like the opportunity to just sidestep the issue of like oh well if you knew this about me you would throw obstacles at me so let's just leave it out but like it functions so it, it seems to function very differently with gender and race. I don't know. I'm just curious. If yeah, I mean, there's definitely. I can only speak from my own perspective, sure. certainly, and other folks have their own perspectives as well. So, I feel like I'm viewed mostly as like a as a white male. So that definitely is a different um, perspective than other folks might have. And I can't. I would want to think about that more before I, I said more. Yeah, yeah, certainly. For sure. And there, there is definitely that intersection between my experience as a white trans person versus someone who's non-white and, and their experience with the intersections of race and gender into that as well. And this is like, I mean, I guess in a way we we could talk about Jewish identity in relation to this. Like, what I do online, and I don't even know how this is connected really. It's like, first of all, my name is not Warhol Kaufman. I used to do my act uh, on on tour and stuff, and I would go on stage. They would introduce me, introducing Warhol Kaufman. And first I would walk really slow from the very back, as far away as I could be and moving as slowly as possible. So then it's just this really awkward, like, what is going, it's, what's happening? But then also, like, the name, my name is Baraka Noel. And so there's re- there are reasons to not use that as a performer at certain points, but like the name Warhol Kaufman, if it evokes anything, it's either confusion or like a particular identity that I don't match. And then mm-hmm. the space between people like hearing that I'm going to come and seeing me, I notice in certain spaces, like in Portland, for example, as soon as they, f- I'm physically seen, this isn't quite as true in this town, but as soon as they see me in Portland, I can feel the switch turning Yeah. where like the room is like, no, it's like, I know what this is. I don't want this. They know certain things. They know it's not going to be intelligent. They know, like, they know I'm going to talk about drugs. Like everyone's very comfortable if I get up and talk about drugs. And so like when I get up and say confusing and more thought provoking things, there's this kind of like a reorganizing and online too. It's like, I don't use my image. I use like other things than my image. And so the distance between how people talk about you when they, think they know about you or yeah. how they look at you. It's really fascinating. Oh, yeah. As a performer, especially, yeah. Definitely. I mean, we all have these stories that we tell about every time we meet someone, there are our own assumptions about it and that we put onto someone else. And that it's, I mean, I, I feel like, oh, we're all these spirits in these bodies. And unfortunately, we live in this very like materialistic world that's very based on the physical instead of like the emotional or the behavioral. That's real. Even like, I think about that with music. I don't know if you've uh, ever listened to MF Doom. Mm-mm. MF Doom is a producer and MC who talks about, I've heard him in interviews talk about, he wears a mask all the time. Mm -hmm. Like he never goes into public without a mask. And then in interviews, he talks about like music. It's like, like people say, I'm going to go see this band. Like, oh, have you seen that music video? And it's like, I thought it was about the sound. 
like what does it matter what the singer looks like mm -hmm. you know i thought it was about the sound and it's weird because it's not like for people yeah. now music is not about the sound oh yeah yeah i was thinking about that as well just with music and how back i mean i think that was before people made music videos and it was less not that it wasn't commercialized just in a different way where it wasn't selling so much of the performer as a as a product in a way not that there hasn't been like problematic huh. i just think it was like with the video motown sold the glamour mm -hmm. before that let's i'm trying to think of who because like if you go to the beatles elvis if you're going back yeah at a certain guess, point yeah. yeah it's like johnny cash it wasn't really selling i mean i guess it was the yeah. silhouetted image or the he was selling his image in a very specific way some like the i guess that's why we love blind musicians maybe Right there's a there's a total reverence and a, and an unadornment to it. So I I've been debating with the the news project I do like it's it's right now on YouTube mostly and it's like hosted on my website but like I kind of think just straight audio would mm -hmm. be better. I feel like when you give when you distract someone with some visual when you give them something to be distracted by, it only takes away from the text. That's all it's gonna do, mm -hmm. and. I don't. Yeah, I I have arguments about this every day with like strangers and like different people. Like, it's like people are like, oh, but like we want to see your face. We want something to look at. But like when you're listening, like for me, I listen to podcasts all day, right? Yeah. So when when someone if someone sends me an article, I can read it. If I find a transcript of a video, I'll read it. But if if a video comes at me, yeah. or even if someone sends me a song or something, I already have like a stream of audio that's constantly going, and so. I take in information that way, but where do you like? Where do you get your news from? Uh, a lot of friends who are activists, so links that they post. Okay. Uh, more, social media and yeah, like yeah, more networks. social media through word of mouth a lot. I definitely depend on word of mouth. Are you on Twitter? I am not a lot though. Um, so I do an, a news aggregate, mm -hmm. and I do like it's mostly like smart news aggregate. And then sometimes I'll Google stuff, the New York Times, Like I don't pay for the New York times. So every month it used to be, you get nine articles. Yeah. They cut it to five, mm. you know? So now I have to read like USA today's like summary or like sneak yeah. on someone else's machine. Or sometimes if you do it through like a different app or a different thing, they won't notice it's me, you mm -hmm. know? Um, yeah. I, so what I started doing as a kid is I really just got my news from comedy mm -hmm. and I don't, I can't speak. I don't know how common that is. Like I'm around people who focus on comedy a lot, but it seems like almost like as an act of protection, you know, people, we want a little distance and we, we want to know that there's, or at least for me, I want to know that there's an angle. If I know you have an angle, yeah, then that is better than me pretending like you don't have one. Right, right. I mean, I hate that idea that the news is somehow supposed to be completely objective because it's, I mean, everyone kind of comes in with their own perspective in the world and their own biases. For sure, for so, sure. So, yeah, yeah. I think about this punching down thing too because it's, diagramming a joke is really complicated, you know? So like, I mean, I guess, it's weird. There's like famous, famous people and like the old school, the old school standup, right? was like, you go into the cave. There's n like, there's no way to directly communicate what happened in the cave. You go in, something happens. It's a personal experience. You leave and you take your perspective on it. 
But like now there's all these elements like either like you recording your own material or someone else recording it or like even like people like are live tweeting like fractions of bits from shows when it's closed closed out and so like yeah i don't really know i i heard someone asking like louis ck is like one of the like he's like i've never heard stand-up that pleases me more than louis ck like what do i do now like I can't help like that 10 minute bit. This is my favorite bit. It's still as true as it ever was. Like, what do I do now? And it's like, I think it's really interesting right now to be around so many people that are really struggling to figure out a new, a new way to think about things, a new shape of things. Like, it's like, you can feel it on the horizon, but it's like trying to picture a new color. Like, how do you see it? If it hasn't happened yet. Right. Or like, or has it happened? That's the other thing. It's so many perspectives. So it's like you, you, we come up with some, some experience or some community like organization or event or space where it's like this, this space seems to be getting it right. You know? Yeah. And then we look closer and closer and closer and it's like, well, there's problems, yeah. right? There's problems. There's a lot of problems. And I'm thinking when you mentioned Louis C.K., like all the people whose voices we don't hear because people who are problematic in positions of power end up not shut them out. Yeah. Letting other folks like how many female comics, how many like comics of color have how many queer comics have had really incredible perspectives and material and for numerous reasons haven't been able to share their voice with as many people as they deserve to. So I feel like the that what we're looking for, all these creative folks are there, are here in the world. However, they haven't been, their voices haven't been allowed to blossom and flourish in this world. Well, that's something I think is really fascinating about queer community because like what I observed in Portland, for example, is like there were not queer comics out at least at stand-up shows almost ever. Mm. But there were lots of queer comics, uh-huh. and they would do queer shows. Yeah, and like there's this um, intersecting intersecting network that is more like like I'm in a lot of spaces where people they try to adhere to form rigidly. So it's like, this is a space for this. Yeah. We do this in this space. And yeah. it's like, uh, this is for stand-up, so what are you doing if it's not stand-up? Like, why do you have a guitar? Or yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't I don't know, like, I don't know if it's because of hip-hop or because of, like, multi-culture identity or something. Like, being at those intersections of spaces where it's like, oh, here's a poet, and here's a musician, yeah. and here's, like a journalist and a fiction writer and a comic and they're all like communicating, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, go ahead. No, no, I just think, so I'm doing weekly shows right now. I've never done that in my life ever. I've always like, not that I've been against it, but I always talk to a venue. I work at a show. We're going to do this show at this venue with these people and then we'll do another one and maybe we'll do it here or another place. And so there's something I feel like about sifting of culture on that basis on that weekend we get the same place the same time mm-hmm. it's not all the same people yeah like what we do at delirium is there's a theme every week and the delirium i i just want to be clear i mean horribly offensive things are said there Uh-oh. you know oh, definitely but like what we do at delirium is like we talk about a theme so like 
Uh, I mean, we've done a bunch of stuff. We did 9-11 as a theme. or like, mm-hmm. God, to, to uh, this Monday is like mom. And so drawing together a conversation in this space where everyone is sort of thinking about the same somewhat the same thread of intertwining the concepts i do think there's something really powerful that happens there like i think there's something interesting about that definitely yeah there's a mic that happens in that and when you live in new york that uh it was penny's open mic and now it's the under st mark's mic and there was a theme every it was a weekly mic and it was open as you're mentioning earlier to it was music comedy spoken word dance any kind of art anything you wanted to do um i think there was no glitter and no fire were allowed those were the only restrictions and no heckling the audience so or no so it, it, it was great to, for people from different uh, mediums of art to be able to present their associate. You didn't have to use a theme. It was encouraged though. Yeah. So to be able to just have this again, have this like kind of collective unconscious conversation about this theme and what it means for people. And I really do appreciate the spaces where it can be any type of, it's not just comedy. It's not just music because that ends up pulling in far more people. And it's just incredible to hear and to see people's expressions of what this, what this universal theme is. So when you did stand up, did you know exactly what you were going to say, get up and say it? Did you like, how did you organize that element? Starting out, I definitely had a set list. And as I moved on, it became a little bit more organic and uh, spontaneous and spur of the moment and what I was inspired by. I might have thought of a few points ahead of time or jokes ahead of time. And I found that kind of kept me on my toes and made it more interesting for the audience, hopefully. And... It just sometimes I was like in a mood to be maybe more serious or maybe more, maybe more silly. And that would definitely change in terms of the material that I wanted to use or what I wanted to talk about. Or maybe there's something in the news that happened. And I felt like, oh, I, I have to address this. It might have, when I was maybe a week previously, it hadn't happened yet. So, and I, when I started, it was like 2001, 2002. So there was also during the W years, which were pretty yeah. awful. And so there's definitely plenty of targets right there to talk about. And also as the news progresses, there's more things to be that need to be addressed. So I felt like I had to constantly update what I wanted, what I was talking about. So there's this, there's this comic. I cannot fucking remember his name right now, which I'm actually really ashamed, but he has a show at the Throckmorton every Thursday. And he was more or less the first comic to really talk about current events in stand-up, he would come out with a newspaper, and he had his set list on the one side of the newspaper. But he would hold up the newspaper oh, and just okay. like talk about talk about uh, what was going on. And the same thing happened to him. I, I'm going to look up his his name. Uh, the same thing happened to him that happened to Lenny Bruce, and that sounds like happened to you. And pretty much like I wrestle with every day, which is like. This shit isn't funny. Like yeah. it's not funny anymore. Yeah. And it and so like with Lenny Bruce, he just got into like reading his court transcripts because he was pissed. And with is his is his name Mel? Fuck. I'm gonna look it up right now. Um you know, yeah, it's like uh, I think it was the 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 war the Watergate and the Vietnam stuff for him mm-hmm. that he just was like ah he's like losing his mind. He's yeah. just like screaming and reading the news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. it's 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 enraging. And then there's that there's like one of the quotes is uh, if you want to tell the truth, make it funny or else they'll kill you. They will kill you. So sometimes it's like if I can't find something humorous about the terror that's happening, I I mean, maybe that's why I'm here and not necessarily in a comedy venue at that's the moment. Why you stay away from the people that you're talking to. Yeah, it's like, oh, they people don't people. Some people are comfortable with their 
comfortable not knowing or comfortable with how they are and it's oh dude i've been chased out of rooms for sure oh yeah i'm interested in, in uh, if you wanted to, to talk about that because i feel like I that's something that oh, oh people oh gosh so the first one that always comes to mind what is his name mel i'm such an idiot um the first thing that comes to mind is i was in richmond oh yeah virginia this oh. was like years ago and um Oh my God! The original, I, this is gonna drive me crazy. Original uh, news stand-up comic. Come on, he plays at the Throckmorton. Google, don't fail me now. Um, I'm so pissed about that. Oh, it's all right. We can <laughs> we take a break. We can Google that shit. So yeah. we were in Richmond, Virginia. It was a really weird time. We actually got booked on a show. And then, like, no one came to the show. And then through some confusion, the pe- person who booked us miscommunicated with the producer of the show. They ended up paying us double what they intended to. Okay. So we performed a show for, like, four people. I mean, we gave them a full show. Yeah, yeah. But there were, like, four people there. And then we got paid double. And then, like, we were trying to figure out. We have a couple other things scheduled for that week. We're trying to figure out like where to go, how to survive in Richmond. We're looking for other shows, so we go to like a comedy club. Uh, we sign up. They're like, "Are you comedy or regular?" regular. We look at each other. We're like, "We're definitely not regular." So I don't know. I guess. Uh, but then we get we we did a show at this dive bar in Richmond, and how to put it. Um, the race relations were testy at best, just from the whole time we were there. But definitely as we were performing, it was clear that there was tension. It wasn't going well. People were kind of like inching forward toward us. We were like, it was like, yeah, like a little uncomfortable. Yeah, that sounds And scary. so we we're like looking at each other like, what are we going to, what's happening? Like, I don't think we're selling any merch here. All right, cool. It's like, all right, you go start the car. All right, we're going to shut down the show. I'll close it out. Yeah. So everyone's closing it down. They start moving towards the door. I do like my final. It was a dirty haiku. It was pretty upsetting. And then we ran basically. Fuck. Yeah. That sounds really terrifying. Uh, we were young, you know. Uh, yeah, I have different standards now than for like how I, for my goals, I guess, for performance a little bit. <sighs> wow. How many of you were there like performing? Um, so I was in a crew called We Are The Unreal and we traveled, uh, in a few different combinations, but there were mainly four of us. There was Dusty Rose, Dunce Apprentice, Sam Sachs, and me. Um, Sam Sachs actually is, I just found out he's teaching at Sarah Lawrence now. He just got his credential to, to teach, uh, I guess, or whatever there. And, um, he's like published and all these things he's he was in new york a lot for the last few years he's been doing great work um i know dunce and dusty are around here but i don't i don't know exactly what they're up to too much yeah cool i mean there's something nice about also performing with a group like whether it's that, that safety i think and having performing with other folks as i mean there's that theory cause i've also done improv and there's that idea that in improv ideally your teammates have your back and you're performing together as a group and have then, you done improv mm-hmm Tell me, tell me, how did how did that develop for you? Where where did that start? I mean, it started. I actually started in high school. I did short form in high school here in the Bay, and then 
did a little bit in college. And then a few years after, like in my mid twenties, I started up again in New York and had a lot of really positive experiences, met a lot of really incredible people while doing it. It helped me out of my shell a bit. It was great creatively. There's a lot of positive things about it. And then also some, like any community has its issues. And as far as the hierarchies go, and as far as certainly abuse can go, and I think alcoholism is a really big <laughs> part of the... And improv specifically, or... Oh, improv and comedy as well. I would say like substance abuse um, is a big... But that's like People a trying also, to, Oh, Mort. Mort Saul. Oh, yeah. That's who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So I needed to go see him at the Throckmorton because I haven't actually done it yet, but it's only $20. Please continue. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, mean, I think with any environment and any kind of community, communities that don't hold each other accountable can be really problematic and end up weeding out really important voices, whether it's th- you know through like white supremacy or through... Um, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, I think still in within comedy. I mean, gate, of- any kind of gatekeeping, uh, to my mind, is counter to the creative impulse. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I. that's kind of the power of today. I mean, like I used to, uh, about two years ago, I was going on this rant a whole lot. Um, about like, you know, seizing the means of production, right? Like we already did it. We have them. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So like here, like this is the nightmare. This is like Hitler's nightmare. Like we all have the voice. We all can come together and like communicate. And so like, I, I do think that it's, it's a trip, man. Like one of the, one of the freakiest things is when, when things come down, it's like something that you thought was really important online. You go back to it and it's not there anymore. Oh yeah. Because like there is a continuity of, of, of tools and of enough intersection, intersecting goals that I really think we have as much power as we believe we have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Have you been following this Mueller, this Mueller investigation? Yes and no. Like, I mean, I I see the articles. I don't seek it out. Yeah, yeah. It seems to follow, you know, it's kind of everywhere. And I think that's a lot of people, I think, who are not quite as politically active want someone else to do the work for us. Oh, yeah. So it's more like, oh, Mueller's doing something. I don't have to do anything, which I think is a really flawed way of looking at the world. For sure. So here's, here's a fight that I get into a lot um, with people. And I don't, I don't know where you stand on this, but a lot of times people will say like, oh, if you don't vote, then you don't matter. If you don't vote, your opinion doesn't matter, whatever, whatever. And it's like, well, first of all, wow, <laughs> so much to say about that. Yep. Apart from voter disenfranchisement yep. and the complete betrayal of the two-party system, Yep. I would say... Um, if you don't vote, you probably witness that your vote doesn't have the impact after like repeated attempts that you kind of hoped it did. Yeah. So like how many times do you need to go back to an abusive relationship? Yes. <sighs> yep. I completely agree with that. Yeah. But I don't know, man. So if I'm honest for the last, and this is public, this isn't private for the last, um, whatever the whole like year leading up to the election before first, you know, I was like, okay, Sanders into it. And I would have, I would have ridden the third party wave of Sanders all the way or whatever the fuck could not, 
could not I can't support the Clintons. The Clintons are so crooked. They're so like they're so against anything that that I'm for. Um I honestly how do I put this? I saw Trump not not in terms of like as a constituent, but but as a as an outcome, I saw the possibility of the outcome of Trump as being uh, progenitive to the cause of liberation, potentially through first of all, like avoiding the complacency of a Clinton presidency and like the self satisfied like okay we did it now go to sleep for eight years kind sure, of thing. Sure. Um, now, if I'm honest. I, I can't tell. I mean, I guess it kind of depends still on what happens. Because, like, the total fuck stack. I mean, like, people make the joke that we're in a in an alternate timeline. I don't really think it's a joke. Like, I, I kind of feel like we are. Like, I first of all, I should be dead. I've done a lot of things, like, that that lead to injuries that I have not apparently received. So I, I do feel like there's, there's some element of us being in, like, a quantum improbability mm-hmm. moment. But I, I still feel like I still feel like something good. Like I feel like the the two party system is being damaged by the day. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I I'm just trying to figure out the fissure's so big. Like where do you put the wedge? You know? Like where do you like push against? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like part of it's just also creating our own world that's not reliant on the state. For since sure. The state is trying to kill us actively every day. Yeah, so how do we I love the idea of like tearing things down and at the same time we need to have a place to go. So we can like take things out from the, you know, for folks who want to like tear it down or change it. I don't know if changing it from the inside necessarily works. However, if that's how you want to like tear things down by all means, and at the same time we need to create the world we want to live in. So it's easy to complain about things and at the same time we need to start enacting how what the kind of world that we deserve to live in. It's weird cuz like I mean, that's Bannon's goal, too, is to tear it down. It's interesting. There's potential there. So my question is, who do you see uh, as, like, who's doing it well? Who's doing it well? I think communities that advocate for themselves. So just, like, about mutual aid. So it's not where there's more of a um, a lack of a hierarchy, where there's a leader. Like, what's that? Horizontal leadership, I guess, is one phrase that's used. I've... I've tried a version of that, a very specific version of that, that was um, unanimity. I was in an organization of seven people who uh, made decisions based on unanimity. Everyone had to say, like, okay, yes, that plan. And that was that shit. Capitalism ate that company for sure, but it's it's I don't know, man. It's interesting. Like, have you ever done a consensus based kind of? It is hard. It's it takes forever. It takes longer than forever, yeah. and like, it's I don't know, man. Like, there's something about empathy, I guess. Like, you don't necessarily have to like everyone, but you have to like at least be willing to consider people's needs if you're gonna successfully collaborate and then this this violence you know that's already in place you know there's you can't can't just draw a line on it so like the the violence has momentum to it i don't know man like someone made a joke the other day that uh 
I think it was a uh, Aparna Nanshurla said the <laughs> the main purpose of a threesome these days is to have a third party witness. Wow. Yeah. And I was actually thinking about it like if you take that all the way and just and like develop a culture of like sex referees who's like their only role is to just come and like Oh. Or it's people like could be responsible movie. for their actions. I feel like I don't know. I that really rubs me the wrong way. And it's like this idea that like people instead of actually owning up to behavior, it's so there's behavior and there's communication. And it's like, let me throw out an example. Um, I was online yesterday, and I had a friend post something. Uh, she's in New York, and she posted a thing that was like. Um, no one needs to see your penis in public. Yep. And I was like, yes. Or human feces, both. And um, that led to me understanding that she felt like I was taking away the conversation. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to take away from your point at all. I was just saying like people pee on the sidewalk. And so like if we have strategies to create alternatives to some of the plumbing shortages that would potentially contribute to helping. Like I know I pee on the sidewalk and I'm not trying to show everyone my penis mostly. So like, I'm just trying to implicate myself and think through this, but it was like, even when people have similar goals, having such different experiences can make even like talking about getting to the same destination very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. And for, yeah, after just thinking about what you said, like at first I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, I see that correlation where folks who have like been assaulted or have had, you know, there's that. And then there's folks who need to relieve themselves. So those are not necessarily two of the same things. And she's like, that's not what I'm talking about. Right. It might seem like a derailment of the original statement. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like there's a class element and it's not that it's about that, but I don't know. She's like... I think you should know me well enough that, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about that. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you're specifically talking about entirely. And I'm not only thinking about you. I mean, there's like other people. So maybe you like, and then, so later she posted a, a, a thing that I guess like the same day or after or something, there was a guy who was like urinating in public on a well-lit street or whatever. And then she's like trying to go about her business and then he turns to her and he's like urinating and speaking to her. Ugh. And he Ugh. shouts, give me money. Ugh. And I don't have a conclusion, but yeah, that's a capper for that story. Ugh. Well, we need more care for people. That's like, absolutely. Yeah, it's weird. So like mental, mental illness becomes an out if you have other elements of privilege and it's not an out if you don't that seems to be what happens like when certain people commit crimes they're just not well and mm-hmm. when other people commit crimes, or white people or animals <laughs> yeah yeah and so oh my god yeah there's so many like here i don't know i try to implicate myself as much as possible you know like I, I don't claim to have done it right, you know? I don't think... I, I feel like... 
there's so much of, of people like, not that it's a bad thing to try to present the best image of yourself. You know, there's reasons to do that, that in, that's in some ways it's polite or it's like, there's, there's non-selfish reasons to do that. I try to present the worst image of myself. There's problems with that too. So I don't really know. Well, I think there's that idea of like wanting to be truthful and it's difficult to own up to what one, one does. Like, yeah. for example, yeah. if we're going to talk about like Louis C.K., Woody Allen, right? Yeah. It's like people are like, oh, I love this art. Oh, this person did horrible things. And then it's like, yeah. oh, if it's like Aziz Ansari, you talk this way in your art, you acted this way in your life. If it's yeah. like Louis C.K., it's like, well, you kind of were really open about what you do. Like you sort of confessed in your art. And like some for some people, that's like worse. It's like he and he like suddenly all this material or like. Bill Cosby is another example. There's a Bill Cosby sitcom episode. I'm not telling you like you don't know necessarily. Mm. There's a Bill Cosby sitcom episode that I saw uh, pretty recently, a couple years ago. And the plot of this episode is that Bill Cosby has a special recipe of barbecue sauce. Uh And he's cooking it up and he's cooking it up. And everyone wants to know what's in the barbecue sauce. And he won't tell them what's in the barbecue sauce. This is like 20 years after the Spanish fly bit. So he's like, I won't tell you what's in the barbecue sauce, but eventually Theo figures it out. He finds the recipe. Yeah. And the barbecue sauce almost is magic. It has this magical property. It makes everyone sleepy and it makes them horny. Oh. Now Theo finds the recipe. He's like, I found the recipe, but it turns out at the end that Cosby had a secret pot. He made a fake pot that Theo knows the recipe of and he made a secret pot, but we definitely know that everyone got sleepy and horny after they had the barbecue sauce. I had forgotten about that episode. <sighs> I watched that show, you know, religiously with my family growing up, and I don't have any recollection of that. You can still, wow. I think, find it on YouTube. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, and that's a whole other discussion, too, is someone, someone's uh, personal life versus someone's art, and that's something, another conversation to be had as well, where there's that, like, oh, fuck. Well, for example, um, like, like Snoop Dogg. You know, I don't know Snoop Dogg's life. Mm-hmm. I know what has been said about it. I know some of his music. Mm-hmm. And there's like, there's that whole persona thing, right? So it's yeah. like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I saw an interesting interview. It was really a little sad and it was empowering. It was both with um, Alana Glazer. Yeah. From Broad City on Snoop Dogg's, whatever Snoop Dogg's show is that he has. It's like a pretty low budget cable access looking like sit down and talk. And... He kind of like tried to pull, uh, you know, whatever pimp game on her or whatever, like tried to like pull some shit. And she just kind of was like, Mr. Snoop Dogg, like, would you say that to another? She like really broke him down. Yeah. And it was interesting because like, oh man, like that duality, like the the way that I think about it, this is kind of harshly, I I, I don't know if I can say it less harshly, like. There's this the, there's a scattershot attitude. There's a guy on uh, YouTube who like I'm gonna ask a hundred women to have sex and see how long it takes, right? <sighs> and, like and there's that attitude like if you try and try and try and try, eventually you will definitely get sex, and that is true. And that's that's rape culture. I mean, that's the nature of it, right? So like that inherent the inherent specific way that we teach, like we. I think a lot of people don't understand. Like I say, white supremacy, and I I don't I don't I didn't realize 
what that meant. I thought it was an opinion, you know, for a long time. I moved to Portland and I saw it's a structure. It's a complex structure. Yeah, yeah. And like rape culture, it's the same thing. People say, uh, rape culture, what does that mean? You know, uh, people, uh, men. I try to talk to men about, about rape culture and I try to do it in ways that reflect how we were taught. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens in public, because it happens in private and public, when it happens in public, a lot of times it's condemned by people who say it's really rapey. Well, it is. It's really fucking rapey. That's what we were taught. But like, I feel like if we if we don't allow any space for men to be honest about like the decades and centuries of conditioning, then there's absolutely no way. Like we've tried solving this problem just with a lady feminist intellectual perspective like it doesn't work we have to like get in the trenches with this conversation somehow yeah like men need to hold other men accountable men need to hold other men accountable yes men need to hold themselves accountable yes but also like men need to understand what consent even is because yeah just men don't understand and like i don't know like I, i'm not speaking for whether women do or not like when i talk about culture i'm talking about i've grown up in the united states i'm talking about like very specific cultural touchstones so i can't speak about like men globally you know i can't talk about any of that but like definitely i know i went to an all-boys school and the word rape was used interchangeably with the word fuck there oh, wasn't God. even a perceived difference. Ugh. And so like when where we're starting the conversation, wow. Some people are here, some people are here, and like yeah. we can't even hear each other till wow. the Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And that's where I try to say that as yeah. much as possible, honestly, if for no other reason than to remember it because yeah. I didn't note that in high school. I noted that in college. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe like 9 months or a year and a half in like wait a minute. And then in my, honestly, I try to think back, like, I don't think I talk like that, mostly. Yeah. I, you know, you know, jokes, I could tell you another story, like, but like, but when you're covered in shit, you can't smell yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah. That is very true. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. It's getting I mean, deep, it's like, son. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also just like this culture of like state violence and like living, growing up in this country too, yeah. where it's, there's, this country has never looked at itself in terms of its history and like with state violence just continuing on and on and on. It, but, but there's, so I've never heard anyone talk about reparations for women, right? Cause how, how, you know, but like, there's a reason that we can't really examine racism because it's the foundation of wealth. Yeah. And women are also in a different way. And now, like, I guess if you're going to go, like, 1990s comic view on it, I was watching, like, Eddie Murphy Delirious or Raw. I was watching Raw last night. Like, like female reparations is alimony, right? Like, that would be, like, the, the premise. So, like, I don't know. But, like, when you start to think about it, you can't, like, you can't really say. Like, you, it starts to get into, it's a class war. It's, like... Well, kill the rich and take their property. You know, there's yes. no other like solution. Yeah, so, I'm okay with that. Well, the the alternate pitch, the closest one I'm hearing is like, 
replace all jobs with robots and give everyone a certain amount of seed money and say good luck on the American dream. And that isn't too bad. I mean, that's actually doable. It's better than murdering everyone. But where would that money come from, though? Do you think, I mean, the rich aren't going to just give people, no, 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 the, no, no, no. the wealthy don't just give things away. No. It's, it's really simple so. where the money comes from. I think if you take a second, you'll see it too. There's one thing that we put more money into than anything, and we just got to take it from there. You know what I'm talking about. It's the fucking military. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The military, the, all the money's there. The the fucking this fucking Pentagon lost three trillion dollars. They lost it off of the books. Oh yeah, that Oops. was like three years ago. Yeah. So like that's the money. It's there. Oh sure, sure. It's just that the the folks who control that though aren't going to willingly give it back to the people though. You know they they control the weapons. It's the same thing with like. Uh, you know, whatever the tax cut, everyone's freaking out about the tax cut. I'm like, first of all, you can rewrite the tax code. Second of all, like my problem are way more immediate than taxes. Like, oh no, they're going to be richer in 20 years. I'm not, that's not where I'm really concerned right now. It's like, I, I think I found a place to sleep next week. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. So like, you know, <laughs> the scale of the problem, but like, I don't know. I spent so much time fixating on the worst things and then trying to come up with a punchline about them. And I just say terrible things a lot, but I don't know another way to process the terrible things than to say them. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, I think we should maybe just take a bit of a music break so, yeah. and uh, we'll be back in a little bit. It's deep, son. So this is a song by Linton Crazy Johnson, Fight Them Back. It's pretty much about uh, punching fascists. Oh, nice. Have you ever punched a Nazi? Yeah, right. 
them a nigga hater And some of them say them a black beater And some of them say them a black stabber And some of them say them a baki basha Fascists on your top, nobody worry about that Fascists on your top, we will fight them back Fascists on your top, then we will counter attack Fascists on your top, then we drive them back Wanna smash their brains in Cause they ain't got nothing in them Coming up on the show, we've got a few news stories. We're still joined here by Warhol. You're welcome to join us whenever 
Oh, yeah. You'd like. So this is an article wanting to focus on some positive things that are happening and people fighting back because I feel like there's a lot of news articles about people in positions of power fucking us over as per usual. And it's also really crucial to talk about ways that in which people are fighting back against oppressive forces. So this article comes from the Washington Post, and perhaps you've heard about this. Uh, woman says Missouri's strict abortion regulations violate her religion, the Satanic Temple. <laughs> <laughs> so this came out on January 23rd and was written by Eli Rosenberg. A member of the Satanic Temple in Missouri has filed a lawsuit against the state that alleges that her religious rights are violated by the state's abortion restrictions. The anonymous plaintiff, who goes by the name Mary Doe, in the lawsuit because she fears she would be subject to personal attack, brought her case before the state Supreme Court on Tuesday. The woman, who has had an abortion, according to local news reports, alleges that the state's requirement that Planned Parenthood, the only abortion provider in the state distribute a booklet from the state's Department of Health and Senior Services that stipulates that life begins at contraception, I'm sorry, conception, uh, violates her beliefs as a member of the Satanic Temple. If life begins at contraception, you really got to change your method. Yep, yep. Ugh. Uh, the life of each human being begins at conception. This is in quotes, by the way. Abortion will terminate the life of a separate, unique, living human being. Gross, gross, gross. So that was what Missouri's booklet reads as cited in the court complaint. So fucking gross. Well, you know, you got to be really careful about the lives of human beings unless they uh, are born. <laughs> right. It's uh, talk about it's about pro-birth instead of pro-life. They shouldn't call themselves. But the Satanic Temple has a set of tenets that stipulate that a woman's body is, quote-unquote, inviolable and subject to her will alone, that she makes decisions regarding regarding her health based on the best scientific understanding of the world, even if the science does not comport with the religious or political beliefs of others, and that human tissue, how the compliant defines a pregnancy dating to its conception, is part of her body that she alone can decide whether to remove. The lawsuit is one of two filed by the Satanic Temple. The temple is awaiting a ruling in federal court on a similar lawsuit. The temple, which is based in Salem, Mass., describes its mission as a project to encourage benevolence and empathy among all people, reject tyrannical authority, advocate practical common sense and justice, and be directed by the human conscience to undertake noble pursuits guided by the individual will. The group, whose founders describe themselves as atheists who don't believe in a literal Satan, but instead identify with the figure's role as an outsider, have been involved in political demonstrations before, particularly those that challenge the creep of religious ideas into the public sphere. In 2013, the group went to the grave of the mother of Fred Phelps, the founder of the anti-gay Westboro Baptist Church, and staged a pink mass, which included same-sex couples kissing at the site. In 2015, the group claimed some credit after a court ordered the removal of a Ten Commandments monument from the grounds of the Oklahoma Capitol. They were not a party to that lawsuit, but the groups planned to uh, situate a, a statue of the Baphomet, the half-goat hermaphroditic idol that is popular in the world of the occult, near the monument on religious freedom grounds, may have forced the court's hand, according to the New York Times. This summer, after a Texas school board approved the use of corporal punishment to discipline children, the organization put up a billboard on the highway. Our religion doesn't believe in hitting children, it read, paid for by the Satanic Temple. 
A church-state debate in a Minnesota town over a veteran's memorial with a cross was met by a proposal from the Satanic Temple for their own religious veteran's memorial, a somber black box covered in pentagrams with a soldier's upside-down helmet on top. Although the city initially sought to placate a religious freedom group by creating a free speech zone where the Satanic Temple proposed their monument, it later closed the door on the idea, drawing a lawsuit from the temple. The lawyer representing the unnamed woman in the abortion case, James McNaughton of New Jersey, told the Supreme Court that the government should not be in the business of preaching. It is a bedrock principle of our culture and of our country that we choose for ourselves what to believe by way of religious beliefs, he said, according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. It's not the business of the government to tell us that. The state attorney general's office argued that laws protecting religious freedom don't apply, the newspaper reported. Reached by phone on Tuesday, McNaughton said that the lawsuit was prompted by Burwell versus Hobby Lobby stores in which the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a religious company that didn't want to provide contraceptives to its employees. I have thought the really defining issue is religion, McNaughton said. Are you committing murder when you have an abortion? That's a religious question. The group's lawsuit seeks to overturn Missouri's abortion restrictions, which are among the strictest in the country. We are on the front lines working to restore and preserve enlightenment values, Satanic Temple founder Lucian Greaves said in a statement. Whatever the outcome of today's hearing, we will continue to fight that fight. That's what's up. So I feel like that's pretty awesome that there are folks who are challenging challenging the system and also just calling them out on their hypocrisy and their bullshit. With this idea of like, oh, we want religious freedom. And it's like religious freedom for who? Because there's a lot of folks you might disagree with. So I really appreciate folks standing up like that. If we want to talk about some uh, hopeful news stories, I think New York and Montana is really inspiring. Uh, Both of those states have circumvented the FCC's ability to push the end of net neutrality. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so, I mean, there's like 21 lawsuits. But Montana and New York said, fuck the lawsuit and just made a a law that you can't really operate as a communications company within their boundaries without net neutrality. So cool. Thank you for sharing that. Boom. Yeah. I have a punchline for that. Uh, New York and Montana. We got to celebrate. Go out and buy French Montana's mixtape for zero dollars. Bootleg that shit. Awesome. Cool. All right. So I have a few other news stories here. They're kind of depressing. And then I also feel like it's, it's good to talk about what's happening. Well, dude, I find the Mueller investigation very inspiring. Um, I cannot wait. Um, I can't wait for the movie. Oh, yeah. If we, yeah, that, if we survive to, to Yeah, I it. mean, assuming that, the, you know, the button doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So, the, yeah, the few of the articles that I had here were more depressing. There's been an increase in hate crime attacks against LGBTQ folks, including murders. And oh, I just feel like the, the need to mention that here. And also, for folks who want to read the articles, there's one at Telesur at telesurtv.net. Murders of LGBT people in the U.S. increased by 86% last year. And I know personally people who have been attacked here in San Francisco and in New York. And that's really, it's terrifying. And also, there's also a story from the Daily Beast. Um, if you go to dailybeast.com, that came out, um, written by Samantha Allen, and I'll read a little bit about this. Uh, It's official. America suddenly isn't comfortable with LGBT people. And for the first time in four years, GLAAD found that fewer non-LGBT adults are comfortable with their LGBT peers. 
The organization says Trump's anti-LGBT agenda is partly to blame. The theory that LGBT acceptance in America will only ever increase over time is a reassuring one. The only problem is that it may not be true. A new survey commissioned by the LGBT media advocacy group GLAAD and conducted by the Harris Poll found that fewer non-LGBT adults reported being comfortable with their LGBT peers than in previous years. This marks the first time in the four-year history of the Accelerating Acceptance Report that GLAAD has witnessed a decline in LGBT acceptance. This year, the acceptance pendulum abruptly stopped and swung in the opposite direction, GLAAD President and CEO Sarah Kate Ellis wrote in the 2018 report, noting the sharp contrast between this year's results and the last three years of watching Americans report being more comfortable with LGBTQ people and more supportive of LGBTQ issues. The annual GLAAD survey asks non-LGBT Americans to describe how comfortable they are in several scenarios involving LGBT people, like learning that a doctor is LGBT, witnessing a same-sex couple holding hands, or worshiping alongside an LGBT person at church. This year's version, conducted in November of 2017, found a decline with people's comfort year over year, not just in a few of the scenarios, but in every LGBTQ situation. For example, in 2016, 27% of non-LGBT Americans said that they would be very or somewhat uncomfortable with learning that a family member is LGBT. In 2017, that figure jumped all the way up to 32%. Similar increases in discomfort occurred across the other scenarios as well. For instance, 36% of non-LGBT Americans, up from 29%, said they would be very or somewhat uncomfortable seeing a same-sex couple hand-in-hand, and 26%, up from 22%, with the same about having an LGBT person at their place of worship. In many cases, this marks a return to the levels of acceptance GLAAD and the Harris Poll found back in 2014, a year before the nationwide legalization of same-sex marriage. In 2014, for example, 27% of non-LGBT Americans said they would be very or somewhat uncomfortable looking at a, wet, at a wedding picture on an LGBT co-worker's desk. The following year, that figure dropped to 25%. Now, it has returned to 27%. This change can be seen as a dangerous repercussion in the sense of In the tenor of discourse and experience over the last year, Ellis wrote, 2017 brought heightened rhetoric toward marginalized communities to the forefront of American culture. In particular, Ellis cited President Trump's attempt to ban transgender troops from the military via Twitter, Mississippi's anti- That's crazy. Yeah, uh, Mississippi's anti-LGBT law, HB 1523, and the fatal violence against transgender people across the country as evidence that anti-LGBT rhetoric and sentiment was on the rise in 2017. After years of advances like the 2015 Obergefell uh, decision uh, and court rulings in favor of transgender rights, 2017 was indeed a step backwards for LGBT Americans. And so it is perhaps unsurprising that 55% of LGBT respondents to the GLAD survey reported experiencing discrimination based on their sexual orientation and gender identity in 2017, as compared to 44% who said the same in 2016. The popular wisdom was that 2017 was a uniquely awful year for LGBT Americans. The accelerating acceptance report is one of the first tangible signs of how bad it has been. 
Unfortunately, the GLAD survey also found that non-LGBT Americans may not have supported LGBT people as vigorously as they did in previous years, although they still technically support equal rights for LGBT people by a wide margin. The GLAD survey sorts non-LGBT Americans into three broad categories based on their comfort level across the LGBT scenarios. Allies, who are very or somewhat comfortable in every scenario, detached supporters, who vary in comfort based on the question, and resistors, who report being very or somewhat uncomfortable in every situation. The proportion of resistors has held steady at 14% of non-LGBT Americans since 2015, but the ratio of allies to detached supporters took a turn for the worse over the past year. Now GLAD counts 49% of the non-LGBT respondents as allies, down from 53% in 2016. It's too bad they don't have any numbers on closeted conservatives. Yep. I mean, when we think about so many, like Mike Pence, hello, and how many of these people in Congress who are... Anyone who's thinking about it that much. Exactly. Yeah. Over that time span. But how do they they have sex? It's like, think about it, buddy. (laughs) Google it. It's not that hard to find. And it's also just so frustrating to know that some of the people who are opposed to it are the ones themselves who are closeted. Yeah. Ugh. Over that time span, the percentage of detached supporters rose from 33% to 37%. Those numbers are particularly disheartening in light of the fact that the percentage of non-LGBT Americans who reported being strongly or somewhat in favor of equal rights for LGBT people has remained static at 79% from 2016 into 2017. Recent public opinion polling data from Gallup and the Pew Research Center also indicate that support for major pillars of LGBT equality, like same-sex marriage, remains high. Even as non-LGBT Americans support full equality on paper, then the increase in detached supporters suggests that their personal comfort level with LGBT people may have slipped somewhat over the past year. But Ellis remains optimistic that despite the backslide that was 2017, LGBT people will still find 100% 100 acceptance over time. Forward progress ebbs and flows in every social justice movement, she wrote. Progress for marginalized communities is a pendulum that swings in both directions, but ultimately lands on freedom. I don't think we can necessarily expect 100% acceptance, but 100% access. That's what I'm looking for. Mm. Yeah, it's... Ugh. I mean, just given, like, speaking with, with friends and what folks go through on a daily basis, even here in San Francisco, which is thought to be this liberal bastion, and we know it's not, it's it's so disheartening to know, I mean, there are folks who don't feel safe leaving the house. There's folks who have get discriminated against with the housing and jobs and health care, and, and with by their families, and it's so disheartening. Yeah, you know, when it comes to hate crimes, the scary part or part of what is scary I think is the anonymity the sense that from nowhere uh, what's going on it it goes from from one thing to another and the sense of like uh, impending violence I I spent a lot of I don't know I don't know if this this is a derailment I, I just we're so afraid of each other in the streets I think and um and I think it's it's not absolute, but it's so it's like rich people walk around terrified of the poor, white people walk around scared of people of color, then 
whoever the fuck for whatever reason is afraid of of queer folk and then the queer folk have to be afraid that the people are afraid of them and it's like all these like webs of intersecting fears and the only the only thing i know to do about that is 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 communications people talking because how do i put it what what people are afraid of usually isn't what's most likely right yeah right absolutely and it's like all of it just been like kind of hyped by the media too or like a lot of like this false narrative and the media encourages us and politicians too to a degree it keeps us it wants to encourage us to not talk to each other and not to communicate and to be afraid of each other because if we actually were to talk to each other and realize we have so much in common we could take back the world well here's here's an example i, I go to this a lot too right this word minority that gets used all the time it's like okay minority when people use the word minority usually they're talking about people of color who first of all are not in the minority in the world yeah. and have never been uh then they're adding in all women <laughs> then all queer folk then the disabled then suddenly we're talking about almost everyone in the fucking world and that's the minority that we're like trying to figure out how do we there's like nine people who have more wealth than 40 percent of the world yeah yeah so yeah just kill those people obviously but okay <laughs> yeah i'm not disagreeing i mean it's a matter of, like we Triple have down murder we have the numbers i mean the, the, <laughs> we do we have the numbers we have the numbers and also i mean the only thing that trickles down in the society is violence and it comes from the state and then it and that's something that's so disheartening to see is that also it comes from the state and then people... By the way, have you up, ever said that before? The only thing that trickles down in our society is violence? I've thought about it and I wanted to post it. This is the first I time I've like said it out I feel like that's a tweet. Yeah. Like that's... I, I want to... I'll share that on Facebook. All right. I'll, I'll do that. I will. I'll do that right now. I very rarely do things while I'm on... I, I have difficulty uh, whoops, multitasking. multitasking. Well, I'm wondering if you... Um, would like me to do a few of the news stories that I have from the from the last post. Oh, sure. If you're curious, um, I want to try to avoid the really uh, potentially incredibly polarizing ones. Here we go. Cranberries fans were crushed, but no one is juiced that Dolores died. Australia used to be North America without the prisons. KFC has a drone bucket, but is it the bomb? At the World Economic Forum in Davos, how long before someone brought up bit currency? Amazon's no-employee store is supposedly difficult to steal from. Zayad Union's strip club tab is paid. Basically, he got free drugs from sex workers, which is rare. Chasson and Spencer, Octavia, fire your agent and give Jessica 10%. All right, I, th I heard I heard those. I'll need to like listen again to go through all of those. Um, yeah, the the new one I, is six minutes long, talking yeah. fast. It's like I'm, I got to do it more frequently. It's I, just crazy. I did hear hear the word sex workers, and sex workers are great and should be in control of everything. In my oh opinion. yeah, oh for sure. <sighs> I, I mean that's another thing too with like folks who are end up being marginalized, and the fact that that profession is criminalized is disgusting. Well, so here's the thing. Um, I don't remember who said this, but someone was talking about how men want to control women and control women's bodies and they want women to give up their bodies for free and then they want to control all the money. And it's like, yep. you can't have it both ways. There's no reason under capitalism that people shouldn't be able to make money off their bodies. Yeah. 
Oh, capitalism. Waiting for, yeah, I opened up the show actually with a speech from Ursula Le Guin. Oh, how, wow, yeah. And, you know, she was saying that, like, that, yeah, you know, we while we're living under it, it seems like capitalism, it, it's so hard to escape from, yet people once thought that way about kings. Yeah. So it's really like... Oh, that's beautiful. We have the... And the way she said it was just so much... Oh, just so on point. So one of the things I've been fascinated by for about 10 years, 8 years, is the concept of failures of capitalism. Mm. And I try to take note. Anytime I'm, I'm like in a situation where it's like, I would spend money on this. Where is someone to take my money? There's no one. And I get it really excited. Like whenever I witness a failure of capitalism yeah i just try to take note because it does have i mean i have i have these this bit i won't go into the whole bit but like one of the parts of it is there was a tree branch i'm told a few years ago that fell on a bart train like a bart track Mm -hmm. and it shut down the bart system for an entire weekend oh wow so when people say oh revolution we can't do anything it's like a tree branch shut down the entire infrastructure Mm. so yeah we could do some shit yeah Definitely. We see that time and time again. And I think it goes back to like us being told that we're powerless or we can't make a difference or we have to wait for someone else to, or we have to Or children are the future. No, children are here now. Yeah. Or we have to elect someone to do it for us, which is, this goes back to your point before about voting and how there's that, I think it's a false idea that somehow that's the only way you can make a difference when you can make a difference before before the elections. So do you think Scalia was murdered? Speaking of a difference before the elections. Don't know. Don't care. Because, well, I've been thinking about it and this is yeah. why. Um, you know, he wakes up dead with a pillow on his face. Oh, okay. Uh, this is while Obama's in office. Yeah. So it's possible that he just died with a pillow on his face. Maybe that's sure. how he slept. But I kind of feel like someone was thinking we got to open up a little Grisham space on the SCOTUS. Mm. And uh, I think the plan failed. Mm. But I think that was the plan. Sure. That's all. Yeah. I I don't shed any tears for Scalia. Oh, no. It's not about tears. I'm just – I try to look look at like, okay, here's a bunch of things that are happening. But what's – like there was a story a little while ago. Um, it was in Florida and it was a guy, I might have my numbers wrong, but a guy, uh, who, what he claimed was that he was in communication with the Cheshire cat who told him to like go wreak havoc on a construction site, but he did a bunch of damage to a construction site where they're going to be building a liquor store. Oh. And when my lady saw the number, what she said was that is fascinating because that amount of insured damage is almost exactly what it costs to get a liquor license in San Francisco. Oh. You know, I'm just always interested in what what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that and that perspective and just see like what do we not what do we not know and what's happening? What questions are not being asked? Yes. So yeah. like in the movies recently, there's the post is out right now. Mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson just played LBJ and Liam Neeson played Mark Felt. Mark Felt Deep Throat. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, like, I saw the Mark Felt film. It was pretty awesome. It, it's a good companion piece to uh, All the President's Men. Mm-hmm. And the post was pretty fucking great. And I didn't get to see Harrelson as LBJ, but I, like, need to see it. And I kind of want to watch all those three films together. Okay. Or four yeah. of them, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those uh, yet, but I'll put them on, on the list for sure. Yeah, I mean, I've seen I mean, All the President's Men, but I haven't seen any of the more recent films. Well, so, you know, the, um, the, the story that came out, was this? I think it was pretty recent. It's new to me. Of 
that you know we all know a lot of horrible things happen in vietnam whatever whatever but what i didn't know and what apparently came out pretty recently is that nixon tanked peace like there was a peace accord that was already going to happen mm-hmm. before nixon was even president uh the vietnamese were going to make peace and nixon like sent his people or his messages forward to prevent that from happening and mm. extend the war for another like eight or ten years Ugh. yeah yeah that's treason that's like treason peace sells but who's buying Mm-mm. and we do have a call so let's see who this is here Uh, hello, Mutiny Radio. Hi, Ooh. is this Dr. Bishop's office? Uh, this is not Dr. Bishop's <laughs> office. This is a radio station. Oh, I'm sorry. I got the wrong number. Oh, that's okay. Have a good day. What, what kind of medical problems oh. are you having? Oh, <laughs> uh, Take care. <laughs> oh. I felt like Dr. Drew for a second. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hi. Uh, yeah, we're, we're listening. We're here to help you out. Dr. Bishop. Dr. Bishop. Hmm. Well, we do have phone lines open here. I didn't mention that earlier. <laughs> 415-550-0511 if you'd like to call in with any questions, commentary, or if you're looking for Dr. Bishop. Yeah, call that number and just switch one of them. We don't know which one. We don't one. know which one. Probably the last one. Ah, that was fun. That was interesting. Oh, so you're saying before about, <laughs> uh, we're talking about Nixon and treason. And- yeah, like, so Nixon, I mean, it, it gets... The the strategy really is, it's just a uh, Kansas City shuffle, right? It's 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 a wit and deflection. So like like with um, Vietnam, you do all the horrible things, and then like we know we know the things, but like if there's so many horrible things that you're still catching up to what happened in 1966, mm. it doesn't matter if no one knows. It just matters if they're too tired to keep connecting the dots. Like. Uh, Attorney General Lynch had a private meeting with Bill Clinton on a plane when Clinton wasn't even supposed to be in town, and mm. he kind of snuck over to the plane, and he talked to her about something. Yeah. No one really knows what, but there were charges that didn't get filed against Clinton, and mm. now they're saying they oh, looked- Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So now they're saying <sighs> they looked in the text messages from A.G. Lynch, and- she told someone she absolutely knew that Clinton was going to be okay. Clinton didn't have to worry about anything. This is not that far after Bill Clinton makes a phone call. This is admitted by the parties. Bill Clinton makes a phone call to Donald Trump and suggests that Trump run. The Clintons suggested Trump's run. Like yeah, yeah. This information is public, but like we're yeah. so tired. We can't connect all these fucking dots oh yeah yeah and i mean also folks don't want to hear it they want someone to come in they want a democrat to come in and save the day and the idea that recognizing well, that trump didn't even want to win trump yeah. didn't think he was going to win clinton yeah. didn't think trump could win yep but here we are the mistakes were made because like sanders oh my god this whole thing about like basically the democratic party handed the keys to the clinton yep uh the clinton candidacy or whatever and then so Against all odds, Sanders manages to get... Like, this is why I can't watch fucking Trevor Noah anymore. Because Trevor Noah, for the entire election, he's mocking Sanders. He's, like, mm. poking very light fun at Clinton as the next president, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And then he's giving Trump hella press and ignoring the rest of the Republicans, basically. Yeah. And that's yeah. The, the massive media strategy all, all across the board. And it fucking almost worked. Mm. But Clinton lost. And just... Just that, just the entire rig system like failing, 
that's good enough for me. But, you know, also we're getting murdered in the streets. So what are you going to do? Right, right, right. Absolutely. I mean, it is like bringing up the point before that with the, like a lot of folks show up for the Women's March and there have been so many calls to make it more intersectional and to make it include trans women and to include women of color and to be, and the thing is that a lot of these marches include, they included working with police forces and many people are like, what the fuck? Police are killing us. How can you work with the people who are murdering us? And there was also some signs, like there's one woman like it's gone viral, a sign, woman holding a sign saying, if Hillary were elected, we'd be at brunch right now, which is exactly part of the problem is that maybe she'd be at brunch, but a lot of folks would still be marching against police brutality, against mass incarceration, against income inequality, against drone Dude, strikes. Yeah, the crazy turf signs and everything. It's just Oh, and the turf. Yeah. I hate turfs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put that out there in the universe. Turfs, stop it. So it's so fucking turf warfare. It's so, and I'm going to say like lots of respect to vegan eats because they, yeah, vegan or no, hella vegan is the name of the place in Oakland. And they put up a sign that's saying turf's not welcome here after the March. So they don't, they, they're not self-reflective enough to respond to a sign like that. I don't think. Yeah. You know, I think I think there is hope. I think it is important. Like so, uh, around the time uh, this is kind of depressing now, I guess. But uh, when the pipeline was the major uh, conversation, the major fight, I was traveling around a bit, and I was trying to figure out if it made sense for me to go there. Um, and I I started hearing, you know, it's like we need stories of of victories. We really do. Mm-hmm. We need stories of of things, something going right. And then almost at that exact moment, the the pipeline victory happened, right? And it was like, no, <laughs> because it's, it's like, this, is, this isn't a victory. It's not a real victory. But like, if you stage, if you can stage a fake victory, and that's what I feel like the Hillary Clinton campaign could have been. You stage a fake victory, yeah. and then it actually sets the movement back back in this way where like mm. it's like well everyone go home yep yeah, yeah. start watching netflix let's go watch yeah. porn don't be out in the streets yeah. don't worry about what this government and military is doing abroad don't worry about how many people are being locked up or how many people are being killed by police every year and jeff sessions Ugh. owns stake in private prisons Ugh. which is a conflict of interest inherently yeah and oh man so what what gives you hope? What gives you hope? Let's um, go there. Conversations like this, speaking with folks I haven't talked to before and, you know, finding commonalities and learning, um, seeing how many folks out there are doing the work, you know, like going out and either starting their own organizations and or supporting other folks who are out there with mutual aid, holding people accountable. Can we, can we name some organizations? Who, oh, who are we Anti-Police about? Terror Project. Okay. I'm not familiar with that. Oh, yeah. So, um, Kat Brooks is one of the co-founders and they're located in Oakland. And they had, they sponsored the, there's a 96 hours of non-compliance in honor of MLK's radical legacy. So that what happened in Oakland back two weekends ago. Okay. And so really just like the communities at uh, Poor Magazine and the folks associated with Poor Magazine, where it's really community, communities like advocating for themselves and not waiting for politicians to do it, not waiting for the state to do it, since the state's often the ones who are causing the problems, really communi- communities that are advocating for themselves and finding, you know, it's going around, like a Coalition on Homelessness is an organization here in San Francisco, where they go around, they actually work with the people who are being mostly affected instead of saying, oh, we think we know what's right. 
instead it's actually the way to make changes to talk about the people talk to the people who are most mostly being affected and find out what they want and center center that center the work around the people who it's most likely affected do you know anything about this guy mark farrell (laughs) oh I know how he's voted. I'm not a fan. Okay. That's me. What's, what's I actually the started the show. He, um, he was on the, the one way. person on the board of supervisors to vote against making city college free. He was the one member of the board of supervisors to vote against uh, making a, an Alex Nieto memorial at Bernal Heights park. Got it. He was the author of prop Q, which then what led to the enforcement of the sweeps, the homeless sweeps. That's terrible. So he's just what he looks like. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if only exactly. we could all transcend our station. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah, he's known as the most conservative member of the board of soups. Because when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh, Pharrell's the mayor. That's what's up. Let's dance and party." Yeah. No. Well, that I think that inspires. We have to wrap up here, but it, that inspires. I think we should probably end the end the show with a song by Pharrell. <laughs> I'm so. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So thank you very much, Warhol, for being here. Can I do a quick plug? Yes, please. Uh, BarakaNoel.com, B-A-R-A-K-A-N-O-E-L.com. What's up? Cool. Thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate uh, speaking with you. Oh, yeah. Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, sounds great. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening in. If you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon up to help support the rental costs here. If you can go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev coming up next is women's magazine with global val followed by the common thread collective thanks for being a good person and listening to the show and we'll be back next week Friends to you, don't waste your time. Here's why. Because I'm